0: What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another exciting episode of Bitcoin and Markets. My name is Ansel Lindner. What I do here is a daily live stream and I put it out in podcast form. If you want to take part in the live streams, you can follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner or, better yet, go to the Telegram, t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Also, check out the website, bitcoinandmarkets.com. Sign up for the free tier, get notified of all my content, get a free weekly newsletter. And there you can also become a full member and support me for $5 a month and support this unique perspective in Bitcoin. So I have been in Bitcoin for almost 10 years. I have an economics and business background as well as a military career. So I have a unique perspective, a unique outlook. And if you listen to this whole episode today, you'll get a taste of that unique outlook. So I want to thank everyone that supports over there on Bitcoinandmarkets.com. If you're new, I hope you enjoy the episode, subscribe, like, share, check out BitcoinandMarkets.com. Okay, let's get into today's show. All right, guys, welcome to another live stream, Ansel Linder, Bitcoin and Markets. Thanks for joining. Today is December 22nd, 2022, three days till Christmas. So the market is slowing down. The new cycle is slowing down big time. Haven't noticed too many big stories out there this week. I mean, we've covered some of them here on the show, like the Japanese yield curve control, but we've talked about that a couple times. And then today on FedWatch, which we did at 1230 Eastern time, um, talked about yield curve control in much more depth. So check out the recording of that show on the Bitcoin Magazine channels uh, if you missed it. Uh, Other than that, not a ton of macro news going on today. I was going to cover a few headlines, a few things. Some of the stuff I posted in Telegram, uh, just talk through those things and then open up the mic. So it should be a pretty short day today, get you guys uh, some information, then get you back out to doing what you got to do to finish up work or whatever you got going on before you go on Christmas break. Hopefully you guys have stuff planned with the family, and all of that. So what should we hit first? Okay, this is, I mean, some of these are going to be random because I do post a lot of random stuff on the Telegram, but uh, I found this this YouTube channel last week, maybe. And what's the name of this channel? It's something weird. I'm going to open up one of their videos here that I posted. It's called Schwerpunkt. And it's a European dude, and he's talking all about ancient history or medieval history mainly, but uh, he gets into some ancient history. And I I just like it because, you know, I talk a ton about geopolitics and normally in human history, it, you know, most of human history is violence and war and death and disease, right? We've lived in this bubble over the last... 50 to 100 years, especially since World War II, of relative peace and rule of law and free trade. And that is not the normal state of humanity. Um, and he has a great way of saying, like, <laughs> in this, this video that I linked, he was talking about the Merovingians and the um, Carolingians, you know, the the dynasty there, or the two dynasties in the first two dynasties of the Franks, I guess you could say, and how they would just look at modern people and spit in their face and think they're so weak and think they're so like horrible, horrible, flabby, weak people. And that back then it was just all about who can kill who, and that's who has the power and whatever. So the, the way he looks at history is very very interesting and they're really long drawn out um one, almost like lectures, you know, like going to an uh hour or 90 minute lecture and someone just talks about uh some topic in medieval history for a long time. I mean, he's very uh seemingly well educated about this stuff and so I thought it would be cool to share with you guys, so check out that channel Schwerpunkt. I put it in The Telegram group. Okay. Um, What's another thing here? Okay. So I did post this tweet about reverse repo rates. And it was from Matt Dines. And he posted this chart showing repo rates back in 2019. And I've talked about this a lot. 2019 as, for me, kind of like a blueprint, what we could see coming up not a 2000 and you know not a dot com bubble 2001 not a great financial crisis but it's going to be more like either we can we can see a few things but it's going to be like things since the great financial crisis so um uh, European sovereign debt crisis um then we might see some sort of asian crisis currency crisis or 2019 and so th- those are the, this is, those are the blueprints that we have to go off of, I think, for the next cycle, just because, you know, everything changed in 2008. We're not going to see something like we saw maybe in 1980s. It was, it's completely different than back then. The only thing that's the same is that the CPI has gotten so high. But really, the reason the CPI got so high is because of supply shocks. And so we can't, there wasn't, yes, there was the oil embargo, okay, in the 70s and stuff, but not nearly at the scale of what we saw with COVID, where the entire global economy shut down. So we have to go back to, say, the 40s, 80 years ago, to see a similar effect to the um, supply chains. And to the global economy, like you know, shutting for a, a world war shut down the global economy for four years or more. I mean, Germany went into Poland in thirty nine, right? And then uh, the bombs dropped in Japan in forty five. So that's a longer period of time. But the the acute phases of the war, I think, were like four years, basically. Anyways, um, so we have to, we we can't look at nineteen eighty. We can't look at two thousand. Can't look at Great Financial Crisis as an example. We have to look at more recent because the entire situation has changed. Okay, and anyway, so this chart is just pointing out the repo rate. Um, so when you guys make, or not you guys, but when people make repo transactions, as far as I understand this, and I don't obviously claim to understand this one hundred percent or anything, but. uh I think I have a decent understanding, much better understanding than most people because most people don't even think about money. Then there's a small group of people that think that the money printer go burr meme is real. And then there's a, a very, very tiny amount of people that think about the repo market, think about the plumbing of the system and and uh, think about those that type of aspect. So um, at least I'm in this smaller group, I think. And they, so anyway, repo rate is... When you are trying to get funding and you bring collateral to the table, right? Because let's say you want some cash to meet your, meet your uh, business needs over the next day to week or whatever it is. So you come with your collateral to the repo market. You say, I need some cash and they'll give you cash, but it's not going to be a one-to-one. Like you have a face value on your collateral of a million dollars and you're going to get a million dollars in cash. Usually there is a haircut. Okay, and that haircut is going to be the market rate plus a little bit. You can see in this chart that I posted in Telegram, these spikes that happen. So every once in a while, there is contagion in the plumbing or a blockage in the plumbing, however you want to say that. And it immediately spikes the price. This haircut, they call it, that they add on top, your collateral is worth a lot less in the market. So you need dollars badly to meet your payment needs, but all of a sudden the collateral that you have to trade for it is worth only 90% of what it was yesterday, what it was an hour ago. So then what do you do? Well, then you're freaking out. You need to go buy some more collateral. Some there, there's demand for collateral, big time demand. Rates fall. Rates fall. People flee into the safety of that collateral. And it goes from not even into long bonds. At that point, it goes into the shortest, most pristine collateral, which is, you know, the treasury bills, the four-week, the two-month, the three-month, those type of things. So the short-term rates crash in that situation. Um, But anyway, that's uh, the, the repo haircut, the repo fee that you have to pay spikes. And that is a sign of, you know, extreme credit pressure. Uh, Some sort of deflationary shock is happening right now in the economy. And so back in 2019, we saw the, well, we saw kind of a prelude to it right at the beginning of 2019. I think it was like January 1st or 3rd or something like that. Then we saw another one, of course, in September, right at the end of Q3. Because at the end of Q3, a lot of things coincide right there. You have um, end of fiscal year for government and government contract, government contracts, government contractors. Uh, it's traditional holdover from the harvest season, you know, with a lot of kind of deliveries and that, those type of options, contracts and hedging. Um, lots of things come to a head I- at the end of the third quarter. And so that's where most, In the US, and I would say in Europe, most financial crises happen at the end of the third quarter for that reason, because you can hide stuff on your balance sheet until you have to market to market, like at the end of the fiscal year and stuff. And so that is, if you go back and look at all the stock market crashes and things, most of them happen at the end of the third quarter, plus or minus a couple weeks from the end of the third quarter. There's only a few. I I went back and looked at this as well because someone asked me a a week or two ago about this question. And there's only a couple that happened like in January, February. I think it was Carr, if if he's in here listening. And those are Russian and Chinese. So they're not Western. They're not US, not European. And uh, so those types of Crashes, they, they don't really affect the entire globe. Maybe the Chinese one would. But uh, no, the West does not seem to have these crises around December, January, February. March, there's a couple because of the end of the third qu- or end of the first quarter, you know, the six month mark from the end of the third quarter. And then the end of the third quarter is the big one. So if you're uh, thinking about like recession, you're thinking about, oh, there's going to be some stock market crash. There's going to be some sort of uh, liquidity crisis out there. I would look at the end of the quarters. So coming up here, I guess, is the end of a quarter. There could be something around this time. Um, Just like there was back turning from 2018 to 2019 on this chart, you can see the spike. Um, But the big one will come probably at the end of the third quarter, either in 2023 or 2024, 2025, whatever. But that is what I would expect. to be, you know, fitting within the pattern of historical norms, and then you can see on this chart as well, we don't have any of these spikes. There's no uncontrolled nature to what's going on right now. It's it's very weird. It is very weird. So many people, including myself, thought you know the government can't or the Fed cannot raise rates. They can't raise rates because they can't afford the pay to pay on the government debt at higher rates but apparently somehow they're able to do it. And there's nothing that is super acute happening right now in this market, in the repo market. So a very interesting chart. And this is one thing that I will definitely be watching out for. All right. Um, what else do we have? GDP for third quarter was revised again. It was revised a little bit. It was revised a little bit higher. Um. I mean, 3.2% annualized in the third quarter. That's decent GDP, guys. That is decent GDP. But it's coming off of very high nominal GDP. And I did post, I did talk about a chart on FedWatch. Let me bring that up here, actually. Let's see if I can post that straight into Telegram. Uh, it's not letting me paste it. Um Okay, let me try to find this real quick cuz I think this is important. Here we go, I got it. Coming in. Okay, so this is a chart of it's not pure GDP or uh, nominal GDP. It's just gross domestic purchases. So there's other things that go into GDP like imports is a big one. If imports are really high, you know, that's a negative for GDP. But you can see on this chart in the the last data point for Q3 we saw nominal GDP, or the proxy that we're using in this chart for nominal GDP, the blue line, crashed. It slowed down from 8.5% to 5%. That's a really big decline. It, fe- it feels like the economy slowed by 3.5%. Negative 3.5%. But what else happened? PCE also crashed. The orange line. So as I've been saying throughout the majority of this year, is that, or maybe the last six months of the year, is that we are going to race downward. Nominal GDP is going to come down, but so is PCE or quote-unquote inflation. And so we're going to have a race downward to zero. And that's, I think, what we're seeing here. I mean, this fits in with that kind of thesis and so that's what i'm going with all right last chart i have up here is from um what's his name macro alf on twitter and its economists have never been as worried about a recession as today and it's this kind of black and orange chart with the orange line and it is just going crazy parabolic right now um So this is a percent of respondents in the survey of professional forecasters expecting negative GDP growth one year from now. Professional forecasters. I mean, this is the kind of the group that you would want. Um, I think he had put it in context for us. Let me try to find that real quick. Uh, he said, yes, this is the most anticipated recession in history. A record 44% of surveyed economists expect a U.S. recession in 2023. But economists are not asset allocators. And judging by how credit spreads, two-year treasuries, and stock markets are trading, investors don't fully agree. So good points there. 44%, that isn't a majority, but it is the highest on record. It's a record of the amount of economists or professional forecasters that are forecasting a recession, an imminent recession within the next um, couple quarters here. Of course, we had in 2022, the first two quarters of the year were negative GDP growth, which traditionally would have triggered the backward labeling of it as a recession. But of course, then look at what happened with Q3. It was plus 3.2% annualized. So that is a big turnaround. Anyway, so maybe there is mixed signals going on here in the economy. And I tend to be a contrarian, as you guys know. So I will not be agreeing with these professional forecasters and uh, economists. So if they're at a record high amount thinking a recession is coming, I think it's a pretty good bet to go opposite of these guys. So that is what I'm doing. (laughs) I don't think there's, there there could be a, a slight, there could be a couple months of negative GDP growth, but I don't think it's going to be considered a recession. So, or if it is, it's a very slight recession and it's over. It's not going to be a hardcore recession. All right, so that's what I have here. Let's take a look at Bitcoin real quick since this is, Bitcoin and markets, pulling up the chart. All right. I mean, we're down on the day. We're down down yesterday, down today, a little bit more. But we're still above the lows from, when was that? The 19th. And, of course, we're above, we're still above the low, actually, of the 16th, too. And... November, the several lows in November. So really the price is sideways. And the the chart that I showed on FedWatch today, I it's that one, you guys have probably seen it with the arrows that detail out the big events, Terra Luna, Celsius, and FTX. And if you take out like the few days after these big events, where that was all of the drop for the entire year, basically, you So Bitcoin is fine. Bitcoin is sideways to up without these big events. And if there is another big event, you know, which that's uh, speculation still. And CK and I went back and forth on that today. But um, minus a big event, I don't think there's any evidence to support that Bitcoin should trend downward. It's been sideways to up, except those big events. And those big events were relatively Isolated to the Bitcoin industry, right? That was another thing I pointed out in FedWatch was looking at the chart. Yes, the direction is directionally similar to stocks and even the price of bonds, not the yield, but the price of bonds. So there is some correlation there, but take out these big events and Bitcoin would not be correlated. So it's because Bitcoin is becoming the Bitcoin industry is becoming so closely entrenched and so or uh, closely associated with the main economic just all industry that I think the overall industry was affected like okay, so the companies within the industry were affected by the global climate, global business climate, and those affected the Bitcoin price. but that it's it's a tangential kind of correlation. It's not a direct correlation to the price of Bitcoin as an asset. I mean, I hope that makes sense. But anyway, um, okay, let's open this up to you guys. Thursday, December 22nd. Tomorrow is going to be a free form Friday, unless we have some big news. Uh, So we'll do the same thing tomorrow, open it up to people to raise up their own topics, um, make comments on the general market, fill me in on stuff that I haven't seen over the last 24 hours but the mic is open if anybody wants to raise anything now. And while I'm waiting on that, as I usually do here, guys, dropping the admin notes, guys on the podcast, make sure you're subscribed. Check out t.me4 slash Bitcoin and Markets. Join the Telegram group. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. Trying to push my listens up to my goal this month of 18,000 listens on the podcast. So I hope that it comes up. Okay, we have Darren and Carr. I'm going to bring Darren in darren what's on your mind what's Uh, up
1: yeah yeah i appreciate it yeah my question is you know in relation so we have the markets and we have bitcoin doing what it's doing and the markets are obviously doing what they're doing and you know i have a lot of questions on that but my question is is the value of bitcoin because you have these coins like let's not even bitcoin ethereum and then some of let's say the top 10 coins that aren't stable coins has the value of these coins been altered in a way that is recoverable does that make sense
0: the value of altcoins or the value of bitcoin
1: um yeah right so let me um let's just put bitcoin and ethereum or let's just say bitcoin and ethereum Uh, bitcoin i wouldn't even say because i say bitcoin does have the value but let's say bitcoin ethereum and then mm, coins like uh uh avalanche or solano or or Cosmos, those type of coins. Has the value been altered in the sense of the perception of, you know, you had the plan B, I think it was plan B, that uh, forecast, but has the value been altered in terms of what these coins could be worth or should be worth?
0: Okay, um, good question. I I would say, okay, overall for altcoins, I think this year has been horrible. I do think that it has affected the long-term prospects of, Altcoins, you know, getting a bid and changing the world and people believing in blockchain and believing in smart contracts. I think this has really affected that. So I think that looking forward, the potential of these altcoins to recover um, or the potential of new altcoins to come in and really pump is extremely limited. And I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm, I'm saying I don't think we will see a 2017 again. And I don't think we'll see a twenty twenty one again I think that those days are kind of past us at least for a while, maybe you know eight, ten years, maybe there'll be another sort of cycle. But I think that overall the altcoin side of the house is pretty damaged from from this now that does affect Bitcoin because bitcoin is these things are seen as a substitute, and when you talk about uh bitcoins fixed supply. You talk about the value proposition of Bitcoin. Substitutes affect it. and They shouldn't. I mean, people that know about Bitcoin understand Bitcoin is different. That if you have your ADA, whatever that, I think it's Cardano, right? ADA. If you have your ADA and you try to send it to a Bitcoin wallet, it's not Bitcoin. It's it, They're different things. And I don't think people actually understand that. I really don't. Uh, And so they the killing of Bitcoin substitutes has had an adverse effect on Bitcoin. But that is totally recoverable because Bitcoin hasn't died. Bitcoin hasn't changed. Uh, The value proposition of Bitcoin is completely unaffected. 100% unaffected. It's just this perceived substitution effect. And that's why I say that one of the biggest things we can do for Bitcoin is really hammer home that there is no substitute for Bitcoin, that Bitcoin is not crypto and crypto is not Bitcoin. Crypto is a scam. And that's hard to do because when you listen to Elizabeth Warren and you listen to um, all of these FUDsters out there against crypto... I agree with their arguments. (laughs) I agree that these crypto is a scam. I agree that Dogecoin is stupid. You know, that most of the space, most of the founders of all these projects are complete and utter criminal fraudsters. I believe that. But I don't believe it about Bitcoin. So we have to have this. uh, It's an opportunity to drive a wedge to create a rhetorical defining line between Bitcoin and crypto, which is hard to do. And I hope we can do it. Um, But I think that until that happens, until we get back on track with Bitcoin's value proposition, um, it will affect the price of Bitcoin. Does that answer your question there? Yeah,
1: yeah. I I think Bitcoin has its inherent value, but yeah, I was wondering about the alt, like altcoins. Ethereum also I feel has an inherent value and has a good leader and is trying to be decentralized, but the uh, the other altcoins, yeah, I just kind of feel like yeah, perhaps they're permanently damaged or they're going to have a lot of trouble ch- changing that narrative.
0: Yeah, I'm, and your comment there about Ethereum being a leader. You probably know my position on Ethereum. I think that it is it has led uh, but it is just as flawed as the other altcoins um so we'll see we'll see how it goes i've been wrong on ethereum calling tops multiple times and perhaps i'm still wrong but i think that it is kind of the king ponzi and i mean actually the king ponzi would be something like social security you know or something in the government uh but in this space i would say the king ponzi is ethereum and when that goes not if, but when it uh, maybe that's what we need. Maybe that's the final shoe to drop that will really help us drive that wedge between crypto and Bitcoin um, when Ethereum goes. But anyway, any other comments, Darren? That,
1: that's it. No, thank you very much. Thank you.
0: Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, Car bringing you in. What's up, man?
2: Hey, what's up, Ansel? So, hey, um, I, I have a question, but on, on what Darren was saying. So um, like I came, I came to being kind of like a Bitcoin only person through like going through the rabbit hole and, and really realizing like Bitcoin does have a definite use case, like there's a definite need for, you know, a sovereign store of wealth and it behaves like gold. So therefore, like it has a addressable market cap of at least gold's market cap. So, you know, like that, just that is like what, 20X from here, the other altcoins, um, they kind of don't have a mark like an addressable market cap like they don't really have a use case most of their price is pure speculation you know there's there's no like cost to mine them you know there's, there's nothing really there they try to like bring in the money and then create like some some use case um, so to me it's, it's more risky to even speculate on those even if we're trying to gain fiat dollars but another thing is um, Bitcoin to me is a very binary thing so Like if Bitcoin fails, they all fail, essentially. You know, we live in like a CBDC world. But if Bitcoin succeeds, it has the capability to replace the monetary base, which is like 21 quadrillion dollars or something like that. And if if you stretch a Satoshi into a dollar, even if it gets there, it's it's well past like 10 million, I I believe. So um, I try to just concentrate my bets on an extremely high beta asset like Bitcoin that's going to build me wealth. Um, whereas like the altcoins, um, we've all dabbled in them. Some people get really rich, and you know, maybe keep it or maybe lose it, like Sam bakeman Fried. But you know, um, I find that the people who who really build wealth in cryptocurrency over the years have stuck to Bitcoin. So that's how that's how I look at things. I mean, I, and all of these L ones essentially have the same function. You know, they're scriptable, programmable uh, tokens like Cardano and all of them, and and they all have a leaders. Um, you know which Bitcoin does not. And, and understanding what Satoshi did, I believe that was another like huge turning point for me personally. Um, the fact that he created this like and, and left um, that's that, that sets Bitcoin totally apart from these other things. so um, so yeah, and, and my question my question answer was uh, what do you think about like the bond move today? Like there was no bond move, and we had you know the the, the Japanese government and we've had uh you know the fed and the ecb saying up 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 i mean are they just are they just going to be embarrassed here or is are they looking for a break because i believe Pal said something like we have the tools to come in and and fix things if things break so what are your opinions on that
0: yeah man great comments great comments um i'll i'll add real quick to your initial comments to say that uh s- some of those millionaires or some of the people that made a ton of money in crypto i guess they could be even billionaires who knows um multimillionaires they have made money not just holding bitcoin but also selling the picks and the shovels to the crypto noobs right and so picks and shovels will always do better than trying to trying to pick winners and losers in the you know pumping up space so i just wanted to add that in there and okay so about bonds the yeah there was no big move here in the last 2 days it's been pretty sideways I'm kind of surprised by that. Um, I've been waiting to see if, you know, since they raised rates, 50 basis points last week, if bonds would sympathetically yields would go higher in the short term, you know, as some sort of consolidation move and then continue lower. We haven't really seen that. And so, yeah, it's, what I've been saying is the, the, central banks don't control everything their narratives you know their hawkish uh press releases and things aren't moving the market anymore and i think that's a sign that things are about to go the other direction so you know they brought out all their big guns even the bank of japan changed their policy so that is like the biggest gun of them all kind of in central bank land and it hasn't really done anything so Perhaps we're ready for a big move lower in yields uh, I've been watching the the ten year let's check out the spread let's check out the two ten spread and some of the other spreads so the okay the two the ten three month spread is at negative sixty six bips oh my goodness negative sixty six god damn that's big uh the two ten is negative 59. What else do we have? I have, I tracked some other ones. The five twos, negative 48. I mean, everything is inverted here. Even the two year, one year is negative 38 bips. These are some massive, massive inversions. And let's see what's happened to the 210. Okay. It's weakened a little bit it it got all the way down to where was this about 84 basis points inverted and now it's up to uh, 59 um yeah i think it's just going to keep trending the way it is Uh, like i've said in the past i would just look at the yields look at the market look at the prices and the charts and forget what the fed is trying to sell us forget what the Bank of Japan says, forget what the ECB says, and you'll have a better uh record of predicting what's going to happen if you just look at the prices and don't look at what the Fed is trying to spin, what their narrative is. So, any other comments, Car?
2: Oh no, no, Ansel, thanks.
0: All right, man. All right, guys. Well, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back here tomorrow, the twenty third, and then, of course, taking the weekend off. But uh, we'll have some holiday wishes tomorrow, and maybe I'll even play some Christmas. I was thinking about opening up today, playing some Christmas music. Maybe I'll do that tomorrow. Um, But anyway, guys, hope you have a great day, and I will check you tomorrow. Bye.